Hi, this is Judith Dreyer, and I'm your host and producer of this podcast series titled The Holistic Nature of Us. And today I am really excited to share with you a summary of the many organizations reflected in many of these podcast interviews. I interviewed dedicated folks, a part of organizations that seek ways to help with climate change, to be messengers of solutions in each in their own way. They inspire and gave me hope that when each of us contributes, however big or small the step, we make a difference. So join me now for a summary of their mission and their talents. I enjoyed making this summary because each one reminds me that passion, doing what we love, taking a chance, looking outside the box is invigorating and rewarding. So I'm going to start today with the Biomimicry Institute. This is one of the most um, unusual organizations I've heard about, and it was certainly some an organization that really stimulated me to learn more. And let me tell you what it's all about. Biomimicry, by definition, is a practice that learns from and mimics the strategies found in nature to solve human design challenges and find hope along the way. Biomimicry offers an empathic, interconnected understanding how life works and ultimately where we fit in. It is a practice that learns from and mimics the strategies used by many species alive today. And the goal is to create products, processes, and policies, new ways of living, that solve our greatest design challenges uh, sustainably and in solidarity with all of life on earth. And we can use biomimicry to not only learn from nature's wisdom, but also heal ourselves and this planet in the process. Jean Benyus, one of the founders, states, when we look at what is truly sustainable, the only real model that has worked over long periods is the natural world. She reminds us that we as a species are young compared to the natural world. So solutions that teams create and implement, uh, to me, are astounding, awesome, and beyond amazing. And they're all gathered from observing something in nature. So I'd like to give you an example. Uh, last year in 2019, a team from the Netherlands created a cocoa palette. It was developed uh, a bio-based, biodegradable export palette from the coconut waste to replace non-sustainable palettes. They developed a technique to activate the particles between the coconut fibers as a glue. So there is no need for synthetic resins to bind the material. They happen to be fully circular, strong, cost competitive with wooden pallets, and they can be milled and used for agricultural purposes after they are no longer able to be used as pallets. And their design was inspired by the curvature of plant leaf ribs, which give the product more rigidity and strength. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to cocopallet.com. That's C-O-C-O-P-A-L-L-E-T.com. 
Another example is from India, and this is a team called Echo STP from Bangalore, India in 2019, created an eco-friendly approach to sewage treatment inspired by the four chambers of a cow's stomach. This low maintenance technology produces energy instead of consuming it compared to conventional sewage treatment plants, which use energy hogging motors, exhaust fans, pumps, and blowers. This design doesn't use chemicals to treat the sewage, but instead uses microorganism plants and gravel to treat wastewater. With 93% of sewage untreated in India, the team is developing an economical and an ecological solution that treats up to one million liters of sewage a day without needing to be connected to a power grid. I could go on and on about this organization. Sustainable solutions discovered within nature demonstrates forward thinking, finding solutions to our current problems, but not just for ourselves, but for future generations. So if you'd like to read more about their teams and what they're doing, I highly recommend their website, which is biomimicry.org. So it's www.biomimicry.org for more information. The second organization that I love to promote, and I've been teaching herb classes uh, and sustainable holistic classes for a long time, and my favorite organization to promote is the United Plant Savers. And their mission is to protect native medicinal plants of the United States and Canada and their native habitat while ensuring an abundant renewable supply of medicinal plants for generations to come. I have been a member of this organization off and on, mostly on, since its beginning, and I love that they seed save. They also have a, a sanctuary, a main sanctuary and teaching center in Ohio that I had the wonderful opportunity to visit. They also encourage and support member-designated sanctuaries around our country. They keep an eye on species decline, and you can actually access a to-watch and an at-risk plant summary free on their website. They also offer grants to organizations that I myself have helped an organization receive a grant to try to create something for a children's garden, and it, they were very helpful, and they loved the idea, and, and so they were very supportive. If you want more information, go to www.unitedplantsavers.org. The next organization, the Bio food nutrient organization is, is a new one for me. I'm a relative newcomer to this organization. They are at the forefront of a technology design tool, the handheld spectrometer, which enables a food grower to get real-time information about the nutrient density in that food. They support soil growth and soil health. So their mission is this. Their strategy is to use enlightened self-interest to create the reality we want to see. We do not feel that it is necessary to fight the forces that we see as detrimental in the food system, but to simply educate, organize, and empower those who understand what it is that we are working on. 
when the people lead, the leaders will follow. So they have three major focuses. The first is the growers of food, and they understand that the economic viability is an issue in the agricultural community. So educating growers in the logistics of creating healthier soil systems will result in a greater yield from healthier plants that will effectively reduce the cost of production. Their second uh, pillar is uh, the consumers of that food. Those who understand the ramifications of higher food quality on their health and the health of those they care about will make pocketbook decisions accordingly. This simple fact contains the essence of how we propose to facilitate the shift in market forces necessary to increase quality in the food supply. And we all know that every purchase we make casts a vote for how this food supply is going to be supported, not only by us, but by those who supply us the food. So everything we purchase as a consumer is an invaluable vote and a message to the food growers. And their third pillar is the purveyors of food. So food is generally a small margin business. And if we can, if this organization can help retailers determine quality before they purchase, they can actually advertise a superior quality product while also knowing that shelf life will be increased. With the development of BFA's research project that will eliminate the embarrassing state of the food supply, consumers will have the power to discern food quality before purchase, which will give the suppliers of food an incentive to source the best quality available. This organization again tells us that we can make a difference. These folks are igniting a passion for producing high quality, nutrient-dense foods that supports all part of the growing process for the home gardener and the farmer alike, for the retailer and for the consumer. So if you'd like more information, I suggest that you go to www.bionutrient.org. That's B as in baby, I-O, N as in nutrition, U-T-R-I-E-N-T.org. Org. The next uh, organization that I would like to talk to you about is the Spikenard Farm Honeybee Sanctuary. And again, I had the opportunity a few years ago to visit this sanctuary. I first heard of them in a documentary titled Queen of the Sun. The farm is on top of a small hill with pastures and flowers. The colors and form, bees all around, uh, held such a feeling of peace, and it pervaded the whole experience. Gunther Hawk, who has been one of my guests, is a Rudolf Steiner-trained uh, biodynamic farmer and teacher, so the farm runs on biodynamic farming principles. Their focus is on bee preservation, conservation, and education. So let's look at their mission. Spikenard Farm Honeybee Sanctuary was born out of the realization that something had to be done for the honeybees and the earth to ensure that future generations will witness this marvelous insect so important to our life and our beautiful planet. The honeybees are much more than pollinators or honey producers. They are part of a complex living organism of the earth and integral to our development as human beings. Their vision is to inspire, 
in young and old, not only interest, joy, and love, but also a new understanding and awareness for the importance of this magnificent, love-imbued, but very vulnerable creature. Bees are in, in, integral in our food system. They're a vital species that contributes to our well-being and life itself. I admire Gunter Hawk's his wife, and his team's efforts to share wisdom, knowledge, and expertise. And if you are looking for a new, maybe a new aspect to study, if you're a gardener, I highly recommend his classes and his educational material. So you can look him up at the Spike and Art Farm Honeybee Sanctuary in Floyd, Virginia. The next organization I'm sure you're all familiar with to some degree. So I'm going to ask you, are you a tree hugger? Do you love walking in the forest on a quiet day and find yourself in awe of trees? Well, as I have mentioned a few times, I love trees. Tall and strong, they offer so much to us. Our lifestyles, our logging practices, and weather changes continue to deforest this planet at an alarming rate. The Arbor Day Foundation offers solutions through a program titled Time for Trees Initiative. They have helped communities around the globe replant millions of trees and inspired 5 million tree planters to help carry their mission around the world. This program is excellent for families who are working and teaching from home. There's lots of help and resources for you to get involved in replanting devastated areas. And for example, here in Connecticut, we just got clobbered by the storm Isaiah. So many trees were ripped up or knocked down. And this has happened in other locations around our country and around the world. So if you would like to take on another project or hobby during our downtime with this COVID epidemic, um, I highly recommend that you go to the Arbor Day Foundation. You can go to www.timefortrees.org. Get more information and help for your particular area. I have another question for you. Do you like butterflies? I don't know too many people who don't. There's something quite magical about the transformation of a caterpillar to a butterfly. It's a process that captures our imagination. Butterflies happen to be a universal symbol of transformation. They exist around the world and display all the colors of our rainbows. Not to mention they're often in stories, poetry, logo symbols, and more. So I had the pleasure of interviewing someone from the Mission Monarch based in Montreal, Canada. And their mission is this. The Mission Monarch program is being run by the Space for Life Insectarium. And it's a citizen science program documenting the monarch's re reproductive success. The program is part of an international research an education effort aimed at saving the migratory populations of this endangered species. This Canadian organization monitors data, looks at the science, charts the life cycle based on observations in our landscapes. And guess what? We can participate with them, and they make it easy to do so. So for those parents who are now homeschooling, this is a great organization to connect with for real-time learning. For grandparents and those with time at home, this organization could offer a new hobby. You can reach them at www.mission-monarch.com. 
org. The next organization I would like to highlight asks a very interesting question. And the question is this, does nature have rights? Is nature subordinate to us or are all species part of a complex web of life and therefore should have rights, should have a say-so in what we do to the land? This group formed to reach out through education and example that nature and us can partner up and create sustainable landscapes, vibrant and healing because of that relationship. So I happen to really like their mission statement. I think it says it all. And here's what they believe. Every moment we are touched by nature and have experiences of earth, air, fire, and water. As the natural forces move in and around us, we express these relationships through our thoughts, feelings, and actions. When we live in kinship with nature, we take up our rightful place as a part of nature consciousness and see that earth and all her beings have an equal right to thrive. In this place of equality, a profound understanding emerges, and we are able to hear the voice of nature. This voice comes to us through the wind in the trees, the constant babble of a mountain stream, the early morning bird song, and the gentle musings that uplift our hearts. Earth Rights begins an inspirational reminder of our kinship with nature and highlights how we can give voice to the vast web of nature con consciousness. You can reach them at nature. I'm sorry, at earthevolutionaries.org. The next organization is, has a different twist on working with land, climate ch changes, and some of the serious issues around climate change. And it's called Artists and Climate Change. My interview with Susan Hoffman-Fishman, one of the core team members, more than inspired me. She reminded me that no matter what our gifts are on any level, we can contribute something to healing this planet. T science and our media tends to scream things at us like, look out, beware, oh no, you fill in the blank. But are we really engaging with our emotions about how climate change is affecting us? Does it take a hurricane to wipe out a forest in our home to wake us up? Or how about fires to ravage our neighborhoods only to find out that we built our homes among trees that ignite easily? Will that wake us up? In 2005, in an article titled, What the Warming World Needs Now is Art, Sweet Art. This was a, an article by 350.org founder Bill McKibben. And he wrote that although we that although we knew about climate change, we really didn't know about it. It wasn't part of our culture yet. Where are the books, the plays, the GD operas, he asked. An intellectual understanding of the scientific facts was not enough. If we wanted to move forward and affect meaningful change, we needed to engage the other side of our brains. We needed to approach the problem with our imagination and the people best suited to help us do that, he believed, were the artists. 
So Artists in Climate Change is an initiative of the Arctic Cycle. It has a team of six artists representing four disciplines and three countries. You can go to www.artistsandclimatechange.org. And last but not least, I'd like to highlight a local organization, but it has a national outreach, and that's the Joshua Land Trust. This is a Connecticut-based land trust with a purpose similar to many land trusts across our country. No matter where you live, look them up. Find out what is going on in your neck of the woods. Here in Connecticut, the Joshua Land Trust maintains walking trails throughout 14 towns in two counties in eastern Connecticut. They also maintain two sites of historical significance, the Gurleyville Gristmill and the Atwood Farm uh, here in Connecticut as well, obviously. And many land trusts rely on volunteers, and so does the Joshua Land Trust. If you're looking to leave your land in trust and happen to live in Connecticut, I recommend that you get in touch with them. If not, find a land trust in your area. And there's a land trust alliance that could be helpful as well. So for Connecticut, you can look into www.joshuatrust.org, and that's J-O-S-H-U-A-T-R-U-S-T.org, or you can look at the more um, broader uh, organization, www.landtrustalliance.org. So folks, I would like to say this, COVID changed our culture's climate overnight. We continue to grapple with ways to handle our misuse of land, air, and water resources that underline our climate changes we experience today. These folks who gave of their time to my podcast series, The Holistic Nature of Us, enriched our learning. Their dedication and passion seep into their discussions. I hope you will revisit them. Go to my website, my YouTube channel, Spotify or iTunes, and check them out again. And hopefully be re-inspired for their gifts that they offer. Or perhaps they inspired you to take on a new hobby, a new activity, or maybe to pick one to support in some way. And as always, we enjoy hearing from you, and we appreciate all comments. Do you have a favorite organization that you feel contributes to solution? Does any one of the, uh, the ones that I mentioned inspire you in particular? We'd love your comments, so let us know. Thank you again, and have a great day.